Ask and it shall be given you, Jesus said. Seek and ye shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. That's his promise. Let's claim that as we pray together with hands joined and with heads bowed and our eyes closed. And dear Father, our hearts reaching up to you, asking for a fresh infilling of your love and your grace and your peace and your spirit and reaching out to the world to the persons on either side of us and across the aisle from us and across town and across the nation and across the world from us. We reach out with the hand and the arm and the voice of prayer to pray that you would bless your hurting world today. We pray, Father, particularly for those in the Persian Gulf. We pray, dear God, that somehow your spirit would preside and that peace would come quickly and that there would be a preservation of life and a restoration of peace. Oh God, we look to you as the author of all good things. May you work good things through the lives of willing and caring people. Bless our leadership. We thank you for them. And we pray your blessings upon our sons and daughters in the Persian God. Be with them and may they feel the strength and power of your people today as we come to pray for them and with them in the words you taught your disciples to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. I do not know whether you read Time Magazine this past week or not. I did. Amazing article in there that referred a number of times to passages of Scripture in the 91st Psalm. I'm going to read some portions of the 91st Psalm that were quoted in Time Magazine but that before that were quoted in the timeless magazine of God's good word, the Bible. So may we stand together, please, for the reading of the word of God. Beginning in the 11th verse. For he will give his angels charge concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will bear you up in their hands, lest you strike your foot against a stone. You will tread upon the lion and the cobra, the young lion and the serpent you will trample down because he has loved me, God speaking, because he has loved me, therefore I will deliver him. I will set him securely on high because he has known my name. He will call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him with long life I will satisfy him and let him behold my salvation. Dear God, this psalm we pray for all of those in the Persian Gulf, for all of those who live in Iraq whose lives have been victimized by Saddam Hussein. We pray for them. We pray for that man, dear God, that his heart would change that he would see the folly and the foolishness and the evil of his ways and be changed, that people might live and not die, that peace might reign, not war, 
And, oh, God, we pray that you will comfort the hearts of those who are present in that fighting, even at this moment. We pray, dear God, for anxious family here at home. Give them the peace of God which passes all understanding. Give us faith to know that we call upon you, you will answer. You will be with us in trouble. You will deliver us. And with long life, you will satisfy us and show us your salvation. For this we praise you and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. When Martha and I and Mike and Steve moved to San Antonio in 1959, we bought a house out where we're still living on Blanton Drive. It's a little one block long, dead end street. I think that when you kind of move uptown, you call it a cul-de-sac. Um, that's just culture for dead end. You know. Either way you look at it, when you get up there, you got to turn around and come back. Um, so uh, we lived there, and uh, we've lived there all these years, and then Lisa came along, and uh, all the kids that have grown up there. It's been kind of a fraternity, the Blanton Drive uh, fraternity, community fraternity. And a few still live on that street. Carl and Sue Moore have been there all those years, and uh, Bob and Nancy Lotus moved there a few years ago and ruined the neighborhood, but other than that, it's still... <laughs> It's a great place, and we love it. Now, we know all the kids there. Now, I'm dating back now to a number of years into the 60s. Um, when Lisa was about six or seven years of age, diagonal, well, across the street, there was a little, there's a family, and they had a little boy named Robert. I want you to think of a tornado, uh, a hurricane, an explosion, all wrapped up in one little body and you have got Robert. We called him Little Robert. There wasn't anything little about him. He was a terror. I mean, even the adults would go in the house when Robert came out on the street. Not only would we get our kids, but we'd get ourselves and get out of the way. Well, I don't know where he is now, what he's doing. He's either in the penitentiary or a preacher, one of the two, I think. It's <laughs> often the only choices you have. So. Um, Little Robert was the terror of the neighborhood. And um, we were going home to church one Sunday, and it just Lisa was with us then. She was about six or seven, wasn't she? And uh, had a little Volkswagen then that I was driving. And I didn't have a happy experience with that Volkswagen. I won't go into that, but if you're in one, I'm going to pray for you all of the time. Because <laughs> if you have a wreck, I hope you get the same doctors I got at Baptist Hospital. They saved my life. But anyway, uh, Lisa was in the back and standing up there, and I could see her face in the rearview mirror, and she didn't know I was looking at her. And the boys were with someone else. I don't know who, but uh, Lisa was with us. And going home, I said, Lisa, how was church today? And she said, fine. Uh, I said, well, how was Sunday school today? She said, fine. I said, what was the memory verse today? Do you remember it? And she said, I could see her brow fur a little bit, and her hair was short then. Kind of, she furred her brow and said, Love your neighbor as you love yourself. And I said, uh, well, what do you think about that? She said, does that mean that I've got to love little Robert <laughs> as much as I love you and Mother and Mike and Steve and Princess? This was one of the first dachshunds we had. I said, well, Lisa, 
That's what Jesus said, wasn't it? And I could see her thinking. I was watching her in that mirror, and her eyes narrowed, her jaw set, and she had short hair, as I said, and she kind of shook her head, kind of like that, kind of like, quivered. And she said to herself, more to herself than to the rest of us, no way. <laughs> well, she was being honest. No way. I mean, you mean to tell me, Buckner, that I'm supposed to love little Robert like I love my husband or my wife or my children or myself? Well, that's what he said, wasn't it? Well, let's look at what he said and the circumstances under which he said it. A man came up to him one day and I asked a question, a very good question. I'm reading from the 12th chapter of the Gospel of Mark. It's also recorded in the 10th chapter of the Gospel of Luke. But I'm reading from Mark this morning. This man came up to Jesus. He was what was called a scribe. That means he was an authority in the law, the Jewish law. Now, there were 600, as I mentioned a few Sundays ago, 613 laws in Judaism. Think of it. 613. 246 of them were positive, thou shalt. 365 of them were thou shalt nots. 613 laws. And so this scribe comes up and says to Jesus, which is the most important commandment? Now, give the man credit for asking a great question. That's a good question. A question I would like to ask and you would probably like to ask. You ask Jesus Christ, what is the single most important statement you have to make about me, my relationships, my faith, my life? What is it? Good, good question. So Jesus reached back into the Jewish law and out of the book of Leviticus and out of the book of Deuteronomy. He took a verse in each place and put them together. And this is what he said. Jesus answered, the foremost commandment is this. The first commandment is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Do you hear what he's just done? He's just created the 614th law, and he's obliterated the previous 613. He's wiped all of that out and encapsulated it into a combination of two verses of Scripture that say that the fulfillment of the law is in the love of Christ. That's what he said. Love is the fulfillment of the law. You see, the Jew believed that the law was their Christ. We believe that Christ is the law, the law of love. They believed that somehow by obeying and complying with the 613 laws, you might in some way earn God's forgiveness over a period of time, that you could somehow earn God's grace, which is an oxymoron that's a contradiction in terms. You can't earn grace. It's a gift. But they were nevertheless trying. Jesus comes along and he says, I am the fulfillment of the law and the prophets, and all of it is fulfilled in loving God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor is yourself. He joined those two together in holy wedlock and made of them a single commandment that takes supremacy over every other commandment in the Bible. They are inseparable, indivisible. Loving God, loving your neighbor. Now, I wish he'd left out that second part. 
I don't have as much trouble loving God with all of my heart, soul, mind, and strength as I do loving my neighbors myself. But do you hear what he's saying? He is saying that life will never be right in relationships. Life will never be right in the attitude you have about yourself until you love God first. That is primary. That's as much a part of the spiritual law as gravity is a part of our planet. We need to begin at the other end. How do you love somebody you don't like? Well, you got to back up. What do you think about yourself? Because generally people who don't like other people don't like themselves. And they're projecting onto other people the self-hatred that they feel for themselves. So you got to move back a step further. What's the cause of that? That is leaving God out of your life and the love of God out of your life. Now, it's just inconceivable to me that people could not love God once they knew what kind of God it is that Jesus is revealing. Now, some people didn't get that in their life. They didn't grow up with the idea that God is a loving God and a compassionate God and a forgiving God, that God is a God of grace and of peace. They grew up with the idea that God was angry and that he was primarily a God of judgment and vindictiveness. And sometimes when we use the word father and describe God as a father, even that's confusing because all of us didn't have fathers that uh, make us think of love. I remember being at one of our youth homes a number of years ago talking to some young men in our, one of the homes that we sponsor for dependent neglected teenagers. And these young men, we were just visiting together and asking questions and talking. And I was talking about the love of God. And I said, God's love is like the love of a father. And one young man sitting there said, well, if God is like my old man, I don't want to know the SOB. And he didn't use the initials. And I said, let's talk about that. You see, you need to talk about that. There are probably people in this room, 3,000 nearly people here this morning, surely in this room, there are those who didn't have a loving father. You may have had an abusive father. The word father may make you afraid rather than make you feel warm. I had the grace and the goodness of a marvelous father, so the word has a great meaning to me, but it may not have that meaning to you. So we need to talk about what kind of father what kind of father is God? He's the kind of father that is revealed supremely, superbly, totally in the person of Jesus Christ. You want to know what God is like? You look at Jesus. You want to know God's attitude? You meet Jesus Christ. And when you meet him, you can't help but love him. It's just inevitable that, that you will. And so when he says that we are to love him with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, what happens? We first of all get a different attitude about ourselves. We don't see ourselves as garbage and as trash. We don't see ourselves as just uh, some, some refuse on the junk pile. We see ourselves as objects of God's eternal love. Look, God loves you, and that makes you of infinite worth. You are worth more than the entire material universe. Regardless of what you may think about yourself, you may be down on yourself. You may be discouraged with yourself. You may feel like you're a failure. That in no way can interfere with nor interrupt God's unceasing love for you. You are the object of God's love. And if you've been the only person in, ever, in the whole world that ever had a problem or ever failed or ever had low self-image, he would have come in the person of Jesus Christ to tell you that he loves you. Hear that this morning. You may not love yourself. I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about God loves you. That ought to give you a different feeling about yourself.
Oh, that doesn't make you feel egotistical. Not at all. It ought to make you feel grateful. I am loved by God. I am somebody because God loves me. Why, Why does God, is God some sort of selfish deity? Is he some kind of celestial megalomaniac that just wants us to love him primarily because he's insecure himself and he has to have our love? Not at all. The reason God wants us to love us is not for his sake, but for our sake. It's not what we do for him when we love him. It's what happens in our lives when we love him. Suddenly, life begins to flow together in a meaningful way. We have a different attitude about ourselves. And when we have a different attitude about ourselves, then we can have a different attitude toward other people. For that's what he says. Love God. That's primary. That's first. You'll never get started down the proper road of life, the life to the best and the brightest in this world and in the next, until you love God. Till you say, and not just saying, My Jesus, I love thee, I know thou art mine. For thee all the follies of sin I resign. My gracious Redeemer, my Savior art thou. If ever I love thee, my Jesus, tis now. Now say that to him today. In your heart, you don't have to use your, your, your lips. But just tell him, I love you. And I thank you for loving me. Because he does. And he wants us to do that because of what it will do for us. It'll make life work better. We'll have a different feeling about ourselves. And we'll have a different attitude toward others as a consequence of our changed attitude about God and about self. So, if I take Jesus' word, which I do, he said, I'm supposed to love my neighbor. Whoever that neighbor is, my closest neighbor is Martha. And Mike, and Harriet, and Steve, and Debbie, and Avery, and Lisa. Those are my closest neighbors. And then there's some next door, some here in church. We're all in that sense neighbors. Anybody near you, he said. I, I've come to the conclusion it's easier to love a neighbor if he's a long way off <laughs> than if he's up close and personal. Distance somehow lends sanctification, my attitude. <laughs> but if we don't love ourselves, we're not going to love the folks closest to us. And the attitude's not going to change in our relationship to them until it changes about ourselves. The closest neighbor you've got really is yourself, isn't it? That mixture down inside of us. So we've got to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. How do you love yourself? Well, I don't have time to spend a whole lot of uh, words on this, but just two or three things. First of all, you... You do not, hate to use the negative, but you do not love yourself in the sense of romantically love yourself. Remember that in the New Testament, when God talks about love, when Christ talks about love, when the, when the Apostle Paul writes about love, when John talks about love, they're not talking about romanticism. They're not talking about a feeling at all. They are talking about an attitude. Agape love may express itself in feelings, but it is not emotion. It is not feeling. In fact, the word feeling is only used twice in the New Testament, and neither time is it used in conjunction with our salvation. The kind of love we have is to be an attitude we have, independent of emotions. It's to be a mindset. 
Let this mind be in you, Paul said, which was also in Christ Jesus. When we get him inside of us and his mind inside of us, we may not like some people. Will Rogers said he never met a man he didn't like. He had a very small acquaintance. He didn't know some of the people we know, right? It is not like. What Jesus is saying here is that there is a difference between love and like and that we love ourselves even when we don't like ourselves. By that I mean we're still on our side even if we don't like the way we're behaving. When you get up in the morning in all likelihood, or some of you may, but most of us wouldn't. I didn't. I got up at 5.30 this morning and I looked at myself in the mirror and when I saw myself in the mirror, what did I do? Did I go, oh, wow, you turned me on, Buckner. Mm. Oh, you give me goosebumps. You thrill me. I did, you may have done that. Some of you could qualify, probably. When I looked at myself this morning, I turned the light off. So there's been a disaster in the night. Something ran over me. <laughs> ran over my face. It's all swollen. No, I'm not talking about being in love with yourself. I'm not talking about an emotion at all. I'm talking about loving yourself unconditionally, irrespective of how you may feel about yourself or how you may look to yourself. Now that's the way I, I love me and you love yourself regardless of how you feel, regardless of how you look, and regardless of what you may or may not have done, you are still committed to you. You are still on your side. And because you believe in that spontaneous kind of love, for your, that uh, unromantic kind of love for yourself, you also, as a corollary of that, believe that love is unconditional. Regardless of how you look or how you feel, you believe in the unconditional nature of love because that's the way God loves us. And when he moves into our hearts with that unconditional love and we accept it about ourselves, then we begin with his help to apply that to other people. We love ourselves unconditionally. I always separate me from my sin. Don't you do that to yourself? Don't we always say, well, if people only understood, if they only knew, if only, if only, if only. Jesus talked about, or the Bible talks about, and you've heard the phrase often used, that we're to love the sinner and hate the sin. Right. That's easier said than done about other people. We do it to ourselves all the time, don't we? We always separate the sin from the sinner with us. We may not do that with other people. We sometimes hate the sinner and love the sin. Unconditional love means that I give to you the same sense of understanding and support even when I do not like what you have done, even when I abhor your attitude and what you're doing. I am to pray for you what I pray for myself. Oh God, help me to change and be the kind of person that you want me to be inside and out. I'm to love you unconditionally just as God loves us unconditionally. That, means, that doesn't mean that Jesus is some sort of doting grandfather that approves all of this misbehavior on the part of his recalcitrant children. It doesn't mean that at all. But it does mean that he separates us 
from our sin in the sense that he loves us in spite of the fact he may detest and deplore what we're doing to him, to ourselves, and maybe to other people. It's unconditional. The story, true story, a young woman dating a young man, thinking they were in love with each other, she got pregnant before they were married, and he called her and said, we're going to do something special today, and I'll be by to pick you up. Came by our apartment, it was on the second or third floor in the large eastern city, and she went down to the car thinking that they were going to go and get married. That was her hope and her desire. While they were driving, she asked, where are we going? And he said, we're going to an abortion clinic, and we're going to abort the baby. She was devastated, and so devastated that she attempted to kill herself by throwing herself from the moving automobile. Badly injured, taken to a hospital, over a period of weeks nurtured back to hell. Lost the baby, nearly lost her life. In the process of her healing, there was a young doctor who was part of the team that was working with her and helping her back to hell. After she got out of the hospital, they saw each other socially a few times, and then they started to date, and then they fell in love, and he asked her to marry him. And some of her friends were helping her pack as he was coming by to pick her up. They were to go and get married and go away on their honeymoon. And so she went down, got in the car, and they loaded up the car, and her friends standing up there looking out of the window as she drove away with her fiancé. One made this statement, wouldn't it be wonderful to meet somebody who knows all about you and still loves you? That's what God does. He knows all about us, warts and all, and loves us. And he says, that's the way you love yourself. Because you love me, that's the attitude you have toward yourself. Now, spread it around. Have that same attitude and relationship to other people. It's unconditional love. And it is spontaneous love. If your house catches on fire in the middle of the night, are you going to sit there and wonder whether or not you ought to save yourself? Or are you going to think, oh my, I did some bad things today. I don't know whether I'm going to get out of this house or not. Oh, I haven't been doing the right thing about this or that or the other, and uh, I don't know, and smoke curling up, you know, and the flames leaping up. You know, I don't know. And you get out a list, you draw a line down the middle, you write good on one side and bad on the other. And, <laughs> and they find you with a charred piece of paper in your hand. You know, you could, you don't do that. You don't contemplate that at all. Making a difference what you've done or not done, what you look like, what you think about yourself, what other people think about you. If your house catches on fire, you're on your side and you're going to get out of there. So I'm to love God with all of my heart, soul, mind, and strength and I'm to love my neighbor as I love myself. And I'm here to say to you in all honesty this morning, I don't do that. I don't do that. I've never had to make this decision, but I believe I know what I would do. I know that I would lay down my life for Martha, 
Mike and Harriet and Steve and Debbie and Avery and Lisa. But I'm not sure about you. And so I cannot stand here and say that I'm doing this. I'm standing here to say it is impossible for me to ever do that apart from Christ who is, get it, the way. He is the way to love. He is the way to life. And I cannot do that on my own. I can keep all 613 laws and not do that. I can give my body to be burned, as Paul said in the 13th chapter of Corinthians, and not do that. I can have all faith and all knowledge so that I can move mountains and not do that. It's nothing. God, I can't do it. And so in the words of the great hymn, my only hope is, for Lisa was right, there is no way apart from the way, the Jesus way. And I pray in the words of that hymn, God, make me a channel of your blessing today. Flow that love through me. And as it flows through me, changing my attitude about myself and then moving out to permeate the atmosphere and attitudes of my life as it relates to people around me. Sweep through my own heart with those clean waters of forgiveness and grace and flush out all of that old refuse of selfishness and bitterness and anger and malice and hatred and self-centeredness and low self-esteem. Just move through me and clean me and wash me and love the world through me for I can never do it myself. I cannot lift myself by my own moral bootstraps it is only by your grace and your love and your forgiveness in my heart accepted by me and then flowing out through me to other people. Lord, make me, make you, make us a channel of blessing today. Make me a channel of blessing, I pray. And he will do that. And so we come to the end of the message. But the beginning of the message, love God. Trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior this morning. That's the starting place. That's the beginning place. Come to know Him as the way and then start walking in it. That's what it means to be a church member. It doesn't mean you've attained. It just means you've joined up. And you're working together with others to help Christ perfect His own spirit within us, individually and collectively. Just as I am, I come. You can't come any other way. I've got to come just as I am. And when I do, he takes me just as I am, but he never leaves me just as I was. He'll do something new and fresh in your attitude toward God, toward yourself, and toward others. Your life will be different. Your home will be different. Our world will be different not beginning in the Persian Gulf, but beginning right here. Peace will begin when you make peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Trust Him and accept Him.